this is the first real downturn actually as well, right? That Southeast Asia has seen. And so I think the headlines, obviously, there's no hero story because they're not raising like crazy. But now you have companies that are winding down, companies that unfortunately going through some hard decisions, which is, like you said, in the realm of like acceptable behavior. But also there's the window of time when these bad behaviors, if there were yep. in the past, can come out for other companies, right? And so I think the press and the public is kind of going through this sifting process. And some of it would be well-justified and some of it would be less well-justified. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Al, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, sci-fi nerd, and dad of two daughters. Join our movement of over 12,000 members for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.bravesea.com. Poland is a private B2B liquidation marketplace. The startup connects sellers carrying excess inventory with bulk buyers across the world. The platform incorporates pricing algorithms, dashboard analytics, and sustainability metrics to find great liquidation outcomes. Hundreds of tons of usable products that would have been incinerated or gone to landfill is now used by happy consumers instead. Manufacturers get more revenue, buyers get cheaper inventory, and the world benefits. Learn more at www.poland.tech. Good morning, Shuyen. Good morning. Up and out of. <laughs> yeah. So here you are drinking your big cup of coffee uh, that we got to have to start the day. You know, I think one thing that we started to see recently was just chatting a little bit about is like all these stories about people leadership going wrong, right? I think in, in the news, in the press. We're hearing stories about hits a product running away with cash, right? We hear stories about low morale, right? We talk about people being laid off. We hear stories about kind of like information being leaked. So a lot of it has to do with like adding the concept of people, people leadership, organizational design, personal growth of the founders, right? And the company growth and why it's not seeming to work out the same way, right? So want to kind of like take that topic and let's run with it. Sure. I mean, I think... Let's maybe like start with a few baseline or I'll start with some baseline beliefs maybe, which is one, every startup is a shit show. Okay. Just everyone is their own flavor of shit show. Okay. So you kind of have to like be at the shit show you are happy to be at, but there is no perfect situation. It is the nature of startups that you are growing quickly. A lot of things are getting built as the plane is flying. And so things will be messy. And then I think there's sort of like mess you can recover from. And then there's like mess that will speed your demise. Right. So I, you and, know, there's like wait, wait, different kinds of mess. Different kinds of mess. And so I got to ask you, right, before we go into our beliefs that will be perfect coming from a textbook about how to do things better. What are some no. examples of messes that you've seen? Uh, those that were kind of like irresolvable and those that were less resolvable. I'll throw one in real quick. Uh, sure. Co-founder conflict, right? When mommy and daddy ain't so happy, it can be very disruptive to the whole organization because they go into camps, they fight each other, and then often it's co-founder conflict or one co-founder leaves, right? And then there's turnover. So there's a common mess and it could be recoverable in the right situation. It could not be recoverable in many situations, right? So that's one. How about you? 
Yeah, so I think that's that's probably number one most common one. I think another one is it's similar but different, which is like you have different people believing different things about how your how your roadmap should be prioritized. Mm. So there's like legacy product versus new products. Mm. Mm. Double down in core market versus launch new markets, right? So it's like a variant mm. of these things because they're basically all fights over capital allocation. How do we spend our money? How do we allocate our people's time? And if they feel like they can't get a reason from on high and people kind of try to make their own decisions, own mm. resource allocation decisions at their level, then you get a lot of half people running in one direction and half people running in the other direction and no one's really like running forward. So I think that's like another one. I think risk and compliance, where it's like, let's say you're doing something that is regulated, there's a compliance function, and or initially there's no compliance function, and then people kind of like do whatever. And then as the business grows, you're like, oh, maybe we should have a compliance function. And then people are like, wait, how come compliance only says no all the time? How do I work mm. around them? I still need to hit targets and ship and things like that. And so I think there can be a lot of messes when like, people's KPIs are not aligned properly and they're kind of like working uh, at odds from each other. And that's not actually the company outcome that you want, right? Everyone has their role. Like risk should say no periodically. That's their job. But product should also like not try to go around them. Yeah. Right? There's, I think there's like a bunch of stuff around like how you do that. I think in product organizations there's like how much are you working on new product versus how much you're fixing bugs and taking care of technical debt and how are those decisions made like who's making those calls so i mean i, I don't know i think there's a lot of well, there's a lot of fodder here so we can go which direction do you want to take it jerry i know um I think the story is like what the Anna Karina principle right which is that every fa happy family is the same and every unhappy family is unhappy in their very special and unique way, right? And what it means is that for things to go right, like companies are all of it, right? They are highly strategic. They're thoughtful with capital allocation. They do well with their HR, right? And their organization design. And then when it comes to like things falling apart, it's often like both a symptom, but also a cause of those things, right? You know, they kind of like feed each other and then things go sideways, right? So people always emerge as a, as a critical, I don't know, comorbidity factor, right, for a startup failure. When I hear those stories, right, I'm just like, and I think the names I think of, right, I mean, I, I think a good example would be like, you know, Zenefits, right, had the issue, right, around agents that they were like skipping and not being compliant with local state regulation in terms of getting their broker's license. That was one. I think it was also a period in the US, I think there's a lot of articles coming out, right? I think it was about, what, five years ago about like employee behaviors, right, like partying too hard, they're not drug usage. I mean, the articles obviously have headlines, right? And actually one of my startup role models that I actually really respected was actually left, right? Or resigned, right? Well, I don't know what the story is, right? Because of one of these like newspaper headline features, right? And I thought it was quite sad. I don't know what the reality of that is, but I think I remember that in that article that I read, it was basically a function of like uh, low-level employees kind of like having certain behaviors and then management not seeming to have cared or not to have stepped in early enough to intervene, right? So he wasn't participating, but there was that people aspect of it, right? Of, of the headline that, so yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I think yeah. let's distinguish between like bad behavior and what you're responsible for and like yeah. 
standard startup churn. Right. Right. So, so I think there's like two things, right? There's sort of like, look, anytime you run a layoff, people are going to be unhappy. Right. There's like no way that you run a layoff and everyone's like, oh, this is great. Like no one's going to say that, right? But yeah. that doesn't mean nefarious things were happening, right? right? Just because you like that, it, it just sort of means like, hey, the business hired too fast or kind of got out over its skis and it needs to cut back right. to like rationalize. Right. But I think that a lot of people will take that badly. Some yeah. people do take to the press and they use it as an opportunity to kind of like air dirty laundry and write on Glassdoor or whatever it is to sort of criticize founders, whether that's warranted or not TBD. But I think yeah. like, I would suspect in the vast majority of layoffs, it's like standard business stuff and nothing nefarious is happening, right? Right. I do think that you do open yourself up to more criticism if you have been sloppy in the past. Right. Right? Because it just means there's probably more people who want to right. kind of take their pound of flesh, give you a hard time, whatever it might be. And so I think there is some aspect of like, in the process of growing quickly, like, how are you treating people? What's the tone yeah. that you're setting in your business for how you operate with right. each other, whether it's amongst employees or with customers and partners? And it's like a cliche, right? They always talk about the Wall Street Journal test. If uh, what was happening was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and your mom read it, how would you feel? And Amazing. Yeah. Totally in the clear. Transparent. Yeah. Uh, Right, but if you that's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what you want, right? But if you're like, I kind of don't really want my mom to read that, then <sighs> yeah. it's kind of a clue that maybe there's something you need to go fix. And so I, I think that's like it's like a pretty useful kind of like bright line to think about. But I think maybe like, and then I think there's a second thing, which is like on org design, which is like sometimes you are making decisions that are going to have downstream impacts that you don't even realize whether it is how you define someone's job scope or didn't define it, as the case may yeah. be, and what reporting relationships mean for communication channels and like what gets prioritized versus what doesn't, all those things can have downstream impacts. And I think often when people are growing quickly, they don't actually think as hard about that because you're kind of like, there's so much work to do. We've just got to get people hired. We need to chase these opportunities. And I think sometimes when in downturns, it's an often an opportunity to like reevaluate some of those decisions and think about like, right. hey, am I organized the way that I want to be to set my company up for success over the next 18 months? Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. So I think like we can talk about bad behavior and then we can talk about just like standard startup, high growth mistake making, which, you know, one's more nefarious than the other. Yeah, I'm just riffing off you, right? Two things came to mind. First of all, is like the headlines, right? And I think the truth of the matter is that Southeast Asia is having more headlines. So I think in Silicon Valley, I think it kind of happened, I think almost like five years ago, right? It feels like there was a big wave of those headlines where I think, you know, journal, they always say, right, in journalism, you're either the hero, the villain, or an idiot. There's only those three roles you can have. How about the victim? Uh, Don't have victim, huh? Okay, then, okay, fine. We'll make our own version of the framework, the victim as well. That's, that's a new one as well, right? The, the, the body on the floor, right? Yeah. So, but I think that wave, I think, of founders as heroes towards villains or idiots, right? From the press perspective, I think there was a wave that happened about five years ago. And I think there was a bit of a sharpening of the professional behavior slash, you know, awareness about what could happen in Silicon Valley, right? But I think 
this wave of, this is the first real downturn actually as well, right? That Southeast Asia has seen. And so I think headlines, obviously, there's no hero story because they're not raising like crazy. But now you have companies that are winding down, companies that unfortunately going through some hard decisions, which is, like I said, in the realm of like acceptable behavior, but also there's the window of time when these bad behaviors, if there were in the past, can come out for other companies, right? And so I think the press and the public is kind of going through this sifting process and some of it would be well justified and some of it would be less well justified, I think, in retrospect, in 10 years time. But now there's this process, right? And so you can say hunting season is on. And now I think for a lot of founders who were previously in the press and only saw them as that they're suddenly reacting and saying like, oh no, the press can also have that information asymmetry removing. That's why we're saying it, but also kind of like shining a bright light on those previous decisions, right? And so I think this is going to be a big learning point, I think, for a lot of founders because he's like, yeah, you know, like if your Instagram is always of you jet setting all the time, right? I'm just saying every week, right? To a new location. Yeah, when times are good, that's great behavior. It's No, not great behavior. It's acceptable behavior. But, and perhaps it's personal behavior as well, which is okay if things are going well. Maybe it's all above board. But it can look really bad when you suddenly you're laying people off and then you're still traveling, for example, right? Then you're still taking those photos. Those are all, I mean, it's bad for employee morale as well. But I think there's this aspect, I think, that there's a bright light that's not happening. These headlines, all the headlines are coming out now. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think people are more disgruntled. People want to have their stories out there, right? So. Yeah, it's understandable, right? If you're unhappy, you want people to hear you and you want people to to be in your corner, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. I mean, I think I think in the boom times, there's a lot less scrutiny, right? Yeah. And so as things get harder and people start shutting down or laying off, then a lot more questions get asked. And, yeah. and, and, and I think that's appropriate. And, you know, I think it always reminds me of this article I read, right? It's like Terranos, obviously, was a big screw up, fraud. Elizabeth Holmes kind of like poisoned the well for so many biotech female founders in terms of personal reputation. And, you know, I would walk around and say, oh, you know, there's a biotech founder I invested in, she's a woman. And people were like, oh, haha, Elizabeth Holmes. And I'm like, yo, that's kind of rude, right? But yeah, also because yeah. there's actually on an absolute number basis, way more men who are frauds, but we don't yeah. say all men are frauds, do we now? Yeah, exactly. I don't say, oh, I have a male biotech founder. You're like, oh, ho, ho, ABC, right? I mean, anyway. Martin Shakrelli Sh- or whatever. Yeah, I know exactly, right? But but what was interesting was that there was also articles, for example, about Moderna, right? And Moderna, which who invented basically the COVID vaccine, was seen as the next Terranos, right? So there was a legit article that it was like, oh, insiders and former employees talk about how the culture is very secretive and the experiments and, and results are not, and they have to do a pivot and this could be the next Terranos, right? And, and of course, that company turns out to save the world for those in the world who are okay vaccines. I mean, you've destroyed the world if you're anti-vax. But, but the point I'm trying to say here is like, there's this aspect of the headlines, right? And I think, I think you have to be awareness that if you're a founder, you're a public figure, you are in the public eye, right? You're not, if you start succeeding, you're not, I don't know, the stuff that you can do, right? And once you're in the public eye, it's not only impropriety, right? But it's also the perception that's impropriety, right? Yeah. Uh, is it okay that Clarence Thomas has a billionaire friend that takes him on fancy vacations to people who are paying for his adopted son's tuition to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars? I don't know. Maybe you don't have to report it, but it sure looks weird. Yeah, I think the headlines are not 
happy or positive about this for sure. And I think that actually brings me actually to something else that you said, which is like, they're going through these really tough situations that are really going to happen. And what it reminded me about is just like, it's kind of unfair as well, right? Because a lot of these founders are first-time founders, right? They don't have a lot of professional experience. They may not necessarily have managerial experience. But it feels unfair in some ways because we're asking them to grow like crazy and just saying like that, right? And then they have to grow as a manager simultaneously as well as figuring out the business. So it's like, is that really a surprise, for example, to some extent, like when you, I mean, FTX is a good example, right? You know? Oh God, really? We're going to go there? Well, you know, I mean, they're all super junior, right? They all have very little work experience. They have some a little bit in smaller funds and then they grew like crazy. And Um, I feel like borrowing money from your company that that's like a judgment thing. I don't think you need to be like super senior to be like, is this a good idea? Like, no, it is not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that being said, Constance Wong, the Singaporean COO, she did at least, she was accredited as a CFA and she did actually go through Credit Suisse risk management. So she did actually go through all the trainings about what is, so for her, unfortunately, I can't say that she's not, she's ignorant. She does know what was good behavior and she knows what was inbounds and what was probably out of bounds, right? And as a CEO, you have the requirements to do that, right? But I think there are other f- startups who have gone through that stack and they don't, didn't have that professional experience and they don't have a head of HR. They don't have a people leader. Yeah, yeah, Okay, I mean, that's yeah. fine. But like, yeah. I, I think people have to take responsibility. Right. Like, you're a human, okay? So separate from like CEO, like you're a human, right? So it's like, like ask yourself, right? It's like, would I want to be treated that way? If somebody, if, if someone else did this thing, did I think that's okay? You know, I think you, you people still have to like exercise personal responsibility here. So like, yeah. and also you're not totally helpless. Like you have investors and I think investors have a role to play here on the governance front. But also you could talk to other founders and be like, hey, how do you do this thing, right? Like what is best practice? And not just people who are like the same level as you, right? But people whose businesses are more advanced, right? So it's not totally the blind leading the blind to just be like, hey, you know, you've already gone through this stage, right? You've built out this team. Like how did you think about these decisions, right? Like I I think it's kind of on you to to try to make good decisions. I don't think you can just like throw up your hands like, oh, I was young. I didn't know like... Well, I mean, there's a difference between you know, but you say you don't know. And there's also you don't know and you say you don't know, right? I mean, that's what what they say is the difference between negligence and gross negligence and, you know. Sure, sure. But I mean, I think you like if you're smart and capable, right? That's why you're a founder. Like, so you, you could still like find help, ask, get resources, all that sort of stuff. Ah, I don't yeah. yeah, but it's like, it's half, right? You're busy. I mean, I was a founder. I was like going bonkers building and I didn't know anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I benefited from being in Singapore or in Boston where I could ask lots of people. But, you know, I was just super stressed all the time, right? Like I was like barely. Yeah, well, you know it. what's more stressful? Jail. Jail is pretty stressful, right? <laughs> so like, great. I, like, great way I, to increase my anxiety. No, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just serious about this, right? Like if you're going to, if you're going to, I, I, I think you're gonna like exercise reasonable judgment, but you gotta like ask for help, right? No one's no one's saying you need to know everything out of the gate, but I think 
when something starts to get to the line of like, hey, you don't know whether this is okay or not, like that's a clue, but also like ask, right? And and so, okay, like, I mean, like, I guess just like bring us back, right? Which is to think about like, I think there's a big difference from when you're like four or five people in a room, everybody knows what is going on and then you start growing, right? And basically your span of control, like there's so much more that it's like hard for you to know what everyone is doing. Then I think that's when you have to start really, like really being deliberate in thinking about who is making decisions about what. Right. What do they, what information do these people have access to? In, in two ways, right? One, which is like, does somebody have access to the information they need to do their job well? But also like, is there stuff that people don't really need to know because it's like sensitive, proprietary, we don't need to give every Tom, Dick and Harry, every intern, mm -hmm. new person access to it. And, or like even this like running away with money, like who has access to the bank accounts? Should mm -hmm. everyone have access to the bank accounts? Probably not. Yeah. You know, like maybe there should be limits. You know, you can't withdraw more than $10,000 without two signatures or whatever it is, right? So, I mean, I think basically, I think there's something when like, as the business grows, you'll have to think about kind of what that expanding pool of like controls is. And you just need to be more deliberate about some of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it feels like there's three periods, right. In the startup, right. That things, when things are calm enough for that to happen, obviously to be, then there's the companies that are uh, obviously going down. So it's pivot, et cetera. And so like you said earlier, there is going to be a bad experience and bad decisions in terms of how it's felt and so so far it's going to be perceived, come out, come to light, be explained. And I think there's also the other type of error, right? Which is the company is growing like crazy and then people are not on top of it, right? They're not on top of that growth, right? And then that, in those moments actually are the seeds, I think, of the future destruction or errors, right? That come out later, right? Because I think every startup kind of like goes in a flying straight, going up, going down, right? And it's a sequence of that, right? And so I think uh, there's a bunch of, I don't know, what do, you, what do you call it? Equanimity, right? There's a lot of like good times, you got to be at peace. At bad times, you got to be at peace. But I think there's this level of like people leadership they're talking about, right? Which is this fundamental questions that have to be answered at all of those three stages, which is, I think, hard, honestly, I think. I found it hard when I was a founder, right? To stay on top of everything. It is and it's not as if my VCs were much help. <laughs> I mean, some of them were, but... So not as much, yeah. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also they can't help, right? They can give you advice, right? What, what I mean by that is like some VCs were more helpful because they were really in the trenches and they could really get into granular of the decisions. And some VCs were less helpful because they couldn't get granular at all, right? So it was all like platitudes, right? In that sense, right? So I don't know. I think you, oh, you mentioned a book, right? Hard Things About Hard Things as a pretty good book. You want to talk about that? Um, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a new book, but I think it has a very real, has a very real take on hard, the hard things that happen and like at a very like tactical level, like titles, yeah. should you give people like, how do you feel about title inflation? And in the beginning, you're just like, yeah, sure. Have whatever title you want. Right. Because it's like a title is free to give away. But then that is also a mess that has to be cleaned up later yeah. because that's, it's like, well, what does it mean Yeah. in an organization to have a title if you just kind of gave them away? Um, and what is your philosophy as, a, as an organization on how you feel about titles and what they represent? So if you haven't read it yet, I would read it. I think it's a good one for the canon. And 
I think it on the org design stuff, you know, it, there's a section that talks about like, Hey, first of all, no, no design is perfect. Every design is trading off something for another thing. Why do startups reorg all the time? Because your business is growing really quickly. And the thing that you were optimizing for in phase one is not necessarily the thing you're optimizing for in phase two. And so you not have easy. to reorg the people to address phase two. Right. But what is also true is human beings hate change. Like it's very disorienting for them, right? And so it's like when you reorg people, then everyone's like, ah, what's happening? Like, oh, first I was on this team, but now I'm on this team. I want to get this person. Like, and it creates like a lot of anxiety, right? Because right. then you're just like, oh, well, we're saying we're reorging because our priorities are, are, are shifting. Like, does that mean I'm not important anymore? Yeah. And then, and that has its own cycle of like emotional upset that happens. And so I think at the end of the day, we're in a people business and like having some recognition or empathy that whatever org changes you make are going to drive these feelings is sort of one way to like get ahead of it. Yeah. That reminds me about some of the unique Southeast Asian challenges as well, right? I think one of it is just like, there's a lot more people, I think, at every stage, right? Per reorg, per round in Southeast Asia compared to the US. And what I mean by that is like, I think what we've seen, I think, is that, for example, if you receive a $10 million round in the US versus in Southeast Asia, the number of people that you actually end up hiring with $10 million is much higher in Southeast Asia because the cost of labor is lower, right? And so you have this interesting dynamic where Southeast Asian companies are going through those reorgs, you mentioned those change, but they are like two or three times larger Right? Instead of a 20-man team, it becomes like a 40-man or 60-man team is going through that reorg, which is order of magnitude harder. And then there's also different clusters or in different countries with different cultures. Right, For example, the engineering team may be in Vietnam. Right, You may have a cluster in the Philippines. And then thirdly, of course, is that everybody's not in the same place. Right, So it's just remote or hybrid or whatever you want to call it. So I think there's a, I don't know, it just feels like there's a unique Southeast Asian, I don't know, Difficulty multiplier sometimes for these reorgs. Yeah. Yeah. I think the geo one is definitely real, right? Which yeah. is like, how do you communicate and do things when people are like all over the place? It is interesting on the number thing. Like, yeah. should Southeast Asian companies have this many employees? Like, just because they're cheaper doesn't mean like you should necessarily hire more people. Mm. And, I wonder sometimes if that is actually a crutch that because people are cheaper, the, the tendency is to throw bodies at the problem rather than actually trying to use software to automate something, which would give you more yeah. operating leverage later. And I think it'd be a, cr a crunch to find the middle of senior talent that can also really complement you, right? So for example, you may, may make a decision to say, hey, we can't really find a great CFO or controller that we really, really like with startup experience, but we're happy to take a bunch of finance leads, right, to run the process in the meantime. I think there's a common trade-off I think I see a lot of startups kind of make because the cost disparity, but also the fact that they can't find that person easily in specialized domains means that, I don't know, they end up choosing one way, which is not wrong if you ask me. Like, you, you will put my hand on my heart, I'll be like, is it wrong? I'll be like, no, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, you got to solve accounting. And basic control, so you might as well hire now. But like you said, there are implicit costs that will that will catch up, right? In in one year, two years, right? When you're saying, did we 
architect the finance right? Did we put in the right controls? All these other questions, right? Yeah. 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 Not easy, I say. Well, yeah, I, think, uh, yeah. I would suspect though, like in some of those situations, of course, you need to get some of the basics, right? Which is like, people need to get paid, accounting needs to be done. But you might not find the perfect right senior candidate, but if you can actually find a good mid-level general athlete, that might be better. Yeah. At least apply some strong analytical thinking to the problem before things get really out of hand. Yeah, and that's the tricky part, right? You have the cash burn, and you're like, this person is being paid five times the other person. It's worth five people in terms of cost arbitrage. Is this worth it? I think it can be a hard decision to make. Yeah. Yeah, not easy. I mean, I think one thing I've heard, for example, is like in some countries, for example, that are more hierarchical. I think we had a previous episode in where Robert Huynh shares about Vietnam. As a Vietnamese American, he found that in Vietnam, skip levels are pretty uncommon. So there's a practice where the CEO, for example, yeah. doesn't talk to their subordinate, but to the subordinate, subordinate, right? So skip level. And that's an uncommon behavior. More common, I would say, in Singapore and US, for example, because it's of that global practice. But it's a way, of course, for the CEO to get a view of the front line, right? To embed and understand real what's talk. going on. Real talk. Like, like, hey, buddy, let's have a real conversation. I'm totally not going to tell your boss about what we're talking yeah, about, yeah. but no, like, tell I mean, me what you easier, feel about the business. Yeah. There's easier ways to, I mean, there's other ways to do that. I mean, yeah, but the, but the concept of skip level is basically yeah, like yeah. To, to avoid that management filter for good or for bad, right? That happens in the middle and kind of get the real, I don't know, front line, right? I used to play basketball with our mm. IM team. Mm. And that was actually a great way to meet new employees. Ah. Talk to them. Yeah, I talk about casually. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, so that's a more informal way of doing it. So, yeah, that's yeah. a good way, actually. Yeah. yeah you're, just, you're just hanging out, you're playing basketball. They make fun of you because you're old and slow. And... <laughs> that's part of the fun. Feels like, yes, oddly. it was all of my evil plan to understand the real reality is to pretend to be old and bad at basketball. I'm actually really good and young at you know, no, basketball. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's terrible. So, <laughs> It was a co-ed basketball league. It was like a lot yeah, of startups yeah. had teams. And the, the rule was like you had to like have at least two women. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so in the beginning, it was like, it was like we have a really small team, right? So it was like me and this other lady. Yeah, and then yeah. even when we were like 400 people, I was still getting roped into play. And I was like, there are way more women who work at the company right now. Like, how is it that I'm still like, oh, if you don't come, we have to forfeit the game, right? It was like kind of ridiculous. But we <laughs> because got... you're the best player, actually. Yeah, that's what you're no, saying. No, 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 yeah. no. I think everyone's just like, oh, why well, would I go out after work and play basketball? But I mean, it was fun for me. But but yeah. we had a we had this guy. It was so funny. My colleague, he was like, oh, I played basketball at Caltech, which if like Caltech is not exactly known for their athletic <laughs> prowess, right? They're known for being super brainy. But you know, he's like, oh yeah, I played basketball at Caltech, and I was like, oh, you should come play with our team. And he's like, okay. He gets out, he's on the court for like maybe 45 seconds, blows his ACL. No. Yeah. And I felt like super bad, right? Because I was like, oh, you should come play with us. He's like crutching around the office for like the next two months, right? His wife is pissed. Like, I'm just like, oh. So now, you know, then I was like, after that, I was like, everyone stretch, everyone stretch first. Don't just run onto the court and start running around. Yeah. 
that's the problem of everybody in the middle age is like they play as if they were in university, but their body's already starting to have that. I mean, yeah. he was a varsity player. He told me he played at Caltech. I know, but we're getting old. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think talk about, you know, I think people, I think one thing is, I think actually there is, I think from my perspective, a lack of great people leaders in startups. I feel like in Southeast Asia, that's, that's my perspective. I think there are great recruiters. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are pretty solid, I think, at processes, obviously payroll, compliance, and so, so forth. But I don't feel like there's that, I don't know, that community of great startup people leaders who have gone through one, two, three, because it's not about processes of recruiting, right? It's more like, you can say processes, compliance, and culture, let's just say. But it's really about the fact that it's a high growth. It can go up, it can go down, it can go sideways, Right and for performance, right? Rather than stability, right? So I think that's that aspect, I think, that I haven't met personally as many great, I think, startup veterans, people leaders in Southeast Asia. Yeah. I was in a conversation earlier this week with a bunch of folks, mm. um, sort of mid mid to late stage companies in the region. And yeah. we were chatting with a couple of US CFOs who had taken companies public. Right. And so something that struck me was they were talking about the difference first, like how to build up the function right. on the path to IPO, but also how did their responsibilities shift over that period of time? Right. The difference right. in private company and public company CFO. And one thing that stuck with me was one chap, very senior, very successful. He said, look, you just have to realize that once you go public, a third of your time will be gone. You'll be on the road, talking to investors, being at conferences, preparing all this sort of stuff. So like, you're not going to have time for all that internal. So you need to build up your team to get to that level. And he broke down his responsibilities and like, he's like, I actually have three jobs, right? So one is like, what is my role as a member of the senior management team? Mm. Okay. As a leader of this company, what is my role as a leader of a function? Right. So finance to the entire org, right? Like, how does the entire org view finance and like right. what this team is doing? And then what is my role as like a people manager right? in charge of like the literal people, right? Right. And he's like, basically, you know, he's like, I just leaned more into that first role. My right. role as a leader of this company. Right. Which I think to your point, Jeremy, you don't see as many of those. You see more functional leaders, but not necessarily... Yeah company level leaders and being able to like be strategic and talk about that, or they don't necessarily even see it as their role. They see right. their role as delivering the functional work. Right. And then that first one, that the, the people management stuff, like I think a lot of people don't actually spend much time thinking about that at all. They think of their people as resources or widgets yeah. rather than something that you kind of have a responsibility in developing over time. Right. Yeah, and I think that's true. And it's, it's hard to tell who these people are, right? I mean, it's non-obvious, frankly, to me even today. It's like, who are the best people leaders in Southeast Asia? Well, if you do know, feel free to give us a shout out, <laughs> I guess, and let us know. Because I'm so curious, like, who are the best, like, head of people, right, in Southeast Asia? I don't, it's, it's, it's hard to tell who are the best startup CFOs who actually know what to do, right? Not easy. I think it's not easy a job to do and it's not easy to identify those who are truly good at it versus those who kind of like kept the seat warm. Oh, well, that's, that's very harsh. 
so, so diplomatic it has it is like they were there for the ride and i don't know in a high growth company i don't know if you're there for the ride like if you're only there for the ride you're gonna fall off the chair you know there's just so much stuff that has to get done oh that's a good point there are different stages of the ride so you could be a great you know i remember in boston there was a CFO and the CFO only did like kind of like seed to series B. So the specialization was like, I go in, I know that there's no controller. So I walk in my controller, I set up accounts and you got to do make it gap compliant. So it's like, he's like, he's got the whole playbook, right? Then step number two is I'm going to work on a board package, make sure it's super done. You know, all the charts are there, make sure the VCs are happy. And then three is lay out the fundraising plan and the targets. And it's like, it was like playbook, right? And series B, peace out. I'm done. I did my four years hopefully, and I'm going to go back to another seed company, right? And it was a fractional approach, but also I think a very, I think self-awareness. It was like, oh, I like this madness and I like structuring yeah. it. And then and I being a like public being... company CFO is totally different, right? Totally different type of person, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, so I think that applies for people leadership as well, right? In terms of like, you know, hit of people, like that people who are really good at early stage and then some people are much better for the later stage, for example, right? I mean, I think yeah. what you find is heads of people in the early stage are much more recruiting oriented, Right. Because that's what has to get done, right? You're right. like, I just need to get bodies in the door, right? And then I think later when the company has more maturity, then you'll find people more who are like retention, mm. development, and then there's sort of the attendant subspecialties there, right? Leadership yeah. and development, compensation, like HR, there's a lot of just like legal stuff you have to get through. I would say that I think in terms of that ramp dynamic, I think the biggest error, but I think also I think a lot of recruiters kind of find out, but I think is kind of like can be a career limiting move for a lot of startups is like you can be focused on recruiting, but you have to do the onboarding. Yes. So I think, and I think that's such a common error I see new kids of people come in. It's like they focus on recruiting because everyone's there. And then they kind of like get stuck in the hunt, if that makes sense. And then the onboarding kind of gets left behind because they're like, oh, that's somebody who handles process to do. But the problem is that from a candidate perspective, they have a relationship with you as a head of recruiting in that sense. And so they, from onboarding, they still want you, right, from a relationship before they kind of go there. And also, I think the first three months are really the highest likelihood of the person churning out, the person failing to hit the performance requirements, the person just saying, hey, I moved to this new role, new company, and my spouse and kids don't like it for some reason, and it doesn't work for me, right? So they kind of like hit back to their old job or somewhere else, right? And I think yeah. this is such a critical period. I think, yeah. So, I mean, you have to think about like candidate experience all the way through to first 90 days on the job, right? So like right. the way that you think about your customer and product experience, right? That's mm -hmm. a candidate experience. And what does that funnel yeah. and, and process feel like? And, and how do you ensure like success? Because you, you spend a lot of money to recruit someone. And so if you don't invest in onboarding and they don't kind of hit the ground running, then you've wasted a ton of money and time. So totally agree on the yeah. importance of onboarding often being kind of overlooked here. Yeah, and and everybody's unhappy. But so I think a lot of heads of people kind of cost correct pretty fast once that happens. But I think it's something to know before coming in, right? And I think it's something for founders to also make sure that their recruiters are really focused on, I would say, when they bring them in. Let's talk a little bit for the last few moments here is like, what resources would you recommend to founders to get better people leadership yeah, and organizational design? Ooh. There's a very small, thin book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team that I think is great. 
<laughs> okay, we'll link to it later. But uh, yeah, I was gonna. That's, that's, that's a very that's a very descriptive. I haven't read that. I've heard of it, but it's it's, very it's really short. Of. You should read it. I recommend it to a lot of people, and then they oh, read yeah. it and they're like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah," thing. and then they yeah, like yeah. start starting to yeah. think. I like the hard thing about hard things. I like high output management. That's a good classic. Matt Machari is like a CEO coach and he has online like a bunch of free resources that I think are pretty good. The great CEO within, I think I, I yeah. use that as well personally when I was a founder. Yeah. I thought, it was I thought those helpful. were pretty good and pretty too. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. So I think that's probably where I would start, but I always just tell people like, like you are operating two machines. There's your business machine and your people machine. Right. So the business machine is like, hey, there's marketing dollars in, there's people dollars in, whatever. And then there's hopefully revenue and profit out, right? Like, so you've got your levers and you're moving them. Okay. Your people machine is like the people who operate your business machine. Okay. Right. And you need 100%. to think about them too. And you have to be like, is that the right person pushing that lever? Like where this lever is going to be in 12 months, is that person going to be able to grow into that role? If not today, like, how am I going to help get them there? Or if I don't think they can get them there, like, do I need to go hire someone else to layer it? Right. So I think, I think people think a lot more about the business machine than they think about their people machine. And like, yeah. how do you sort of start thinking about them in that proactive way versus our reactive, like, oh, you know, one more engineer, like one more paid marketing person, right? Like, but thinking about them as a system that you're operating, I think can sometimes be helpful to force the thinking on like who else you need to bring on or how you might need to involve your team. Awesome. I think that's a great note of advice and good set of resources to follow up on. And on that note, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.